Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal. With us is Sergeant First Class Osvaldo Equite, NCOIC of the NCO Journal. Today we discuss the article, Trauma-Informed Leaders and the Behavioral Health Golden Hour, with Sergeant Mike Sobey from the 1st Armored Division. Before we kick things off, Sergeant Sobey, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, Sergeant Mike Sobey, uh, uh, forward observer by trade, uh, but currently I'm pursuing a doctorate in clinical psychology, and uh, I will be uh, leaving the Army uh, in early January. So I'll be going back to where I'm from, uh, the great Commonwealth of Virginia, to finish that degree, and I'm hoping to uh, come back and work as a GA civilian uh, in the behavioral health realm. Um, prior to the Army, I worked uh, in information dominance and exploitation as a contractor, uh, but before that, I was in the Coast Guard. Could you give me a brief description of your article? Sure. Um, so the article for called Common Foreign Leaders and Behavioral Health Golden Hour. Um, in the article, you know, it's, it goes over what is trauma, of course, but then the behavioral health golden hour is when an event happens for a soldier and it causes mental and emotional distress and how we as leaders can better respond to that and how us, you know, the Army and the DOD as an organization for that matter um, can be better equipped to help those in need. Uh, in the article, I also suggest a few different restructures to the behavioral health system of care because our system of care is not fully equipped in my eyes to deal with everything that it has to deal with. And if we can make a few changes with structure, we'll be able to better not only respond to uh, these events, but we'll be able to have better preventative measures in place. And if we can prevent, we don't have to respond. Because right now we, we sit in a very responsive posture. And that is partially why our system is overtaxed. So if we can better train and equip our NCO core and our leaders at all levels to deal, or I don't say deal, that makes it seem like a burden, but to, to provide a culture where there's no stigma behind getting help. There's no stigma about talking about how you feel. If we can better equip our force to be able to do that, we'll be able to bolster our effectiveness and lethality because we'll have more cohesive teams that trust each other. Let's go ahead and dive into your, your article here. Um, can you tell us what, what was the motivation behind you know writing this, this particular piece? What, what inspired you to write it? Um, that's actually a really rough question, which I thought I could answer. But um, 
So I had to say what inspired me to write this and to start doing, to try to start trying to focus on behavioral health issues. Um, to be honest, the biggest reason is because I've been there. Um, and kind of the irony behind everything going on right now is this past, the past few days, I've, I've personally been having a very hard time um, with a lot of things. And uh, like yesterday, I I went over to the BH clinic. I was just, I need help. And of course, it's on the day that this article was published. Um, but the big driving factor is because last year, um, I came back to uh, Fort Bliss from Block Leave. And I got a message that one of my friends from school who is stationed here is no longer alive. He um, decided it's time, I'm done. And he checked out on his own terms, if that makes sense. And the thing is, he, he was an officer. And it kind of just goes to show that your rank doesn't protect you from things. It's not just junior soldiers or NCOs who are having behavior health issues. It's everybody. And I, a, a few months earlier, about six months prior to that, um, I buried my best friend for the same thing. And it just became too much. And I'm a forward observer. Our, our, our mentality is, all right, move out, kill the enemy. And it became apparent to me that the enemy here was, I don't want to say the enemy, but the threat was our behavior, health system of care or lack thereof, it was every, it was all of the unseen wounds that people have. And the concept came to fruition when I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, he was prior enlisted, he was a sergeant, and then he commissioned uh, multiple tours in Iraq back during the fun times. And Again, out of a fit of irony, today he's going to a six-week inpatient clinic for his own personal issues. And as a combat arms professional, I relate things in combat arms talk. And it was, why are we losing people so fast? What, when are we losing them? And it's within that golden hour of something happens and you see the stress on your soldier's face or anybody and the time it takes to get them care is too long. And that's what this article is about. It's about how can we improve that care because if you're on a battlefield and your buddy gets shot, every effort is made to recover them and care for them. But when we're in garrison and somebody goes through 
a very emotionally hard event, the answer is always go talk to the chaplain, go make a behavioral health appointment, go do this, go do that. There's never, there's not that aid and litter team for behavioral health right now. And we are so overstressed in the behavioral health world and the system of care for a lot of reasons that it's borderline ineffective when we try to provide care. And there are some policies I don't agree with. Yes, there's things that I think could be changed, but I don't sit at those levels or see that bigger picture. So as a sergeant, the best I can hope to do is say, hey, we need to equip our NCOs, we need to equip our leaders on the ground with the knowledge, capacity, and capability to, one, understand what the soldier's going through, but two, to also be able to be genuinely empathetic towards it. Because one thing that has happened to me in the past, I have been told by a sergeant first class that my problem didn't matter because he went through the same thing and turned out fine. I found that interesting in your article that you mentioned that, uh, you know, you talk about it in terms of small T and large T when you're talking about trauma. So I'll, I'll give you a chance to maybe um, explain that. And But then my, my point was um, – it, trauma is different for everybody, right? A, a similar situation can happen to, to to two different soldiers, but their response can be completely different. Um, so I definitely understand. I definitely understand that. When we talk about small T and large T, big T, little T, whatever the term is being used, a small trauma is just, oh, you got a flat tire, you know? But to somebody... That can be a big trauma at that moment. Um, a large trauma is something that, to me, a large trauma could be something that you think is a small trauma and vice versa. Um, a small trauma, you know, it, it's going to, it's a trauma, so it's going to um, exceed one's ability to cope with what's going on. But then a large trauma has such a significant impact that it can actually have a biological response, right? So, um, perfect example, uh, 80% of suicides are due to relationship issues. So when we look at that, we're seeing a large trauma and we're seeing different types of trauma there. There's an attachment trauma, betrayal traumas. And it triggers a biological response where the body has a few options, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And there's no way to fight certain emotional traumas because there's, there, you can't just do a violence and you can stop, right? So your body is feeling the stress of, it, you, you, you biologically, like you physically feel like you are being attacked. If anybody has, you know, been in combat, it's a combat response. That's what your body is feeling. Um, that's why you see people who go through uh, breakups or uh, have a death of somebody who's really close to them. That's why you see them. They're not eating. 
not taking care of themselves, their body is just in survival mode. And there's an there's a entire book about this called The Body Keeps the Score. And those large traumas can have adverse physical effects. And I figure out how to word it a little bit better. So it will have a, a physical response. That only makes it worse emotionally because you're not taking care of yourself. You physically feel like guarded. So then it just becomes worse emotionally. Small T, not as bad, but it's still a trauma. And it's very subjective to the individual because I can sit here and talk about something particular to me. Meanwhile, somebody else will have a different view on it because of their life experiences, because of their morals, their ethics, their value system, how they view the situation. So as leaders, we need to understand that when we're dealing with our soldiers and members of our team, or anybody in the Army for that matter, anybody in, anybody in the world for that matter, that just because it's something that wouldn't affect me that way, that doesn't mean it's not affecting that person that way. And we need to have that empathy. We need to have that ability to care. And um, the other day, one of my old soldiers, he called me and he's, are you doing okay, man? Like, yeah. How are you? And then I just heard that, like the change in his voice. Like he's going through things too, and it. I would like kind of talking about it, and I. If I looked at the situation, I was in that situation. Like, yeah, that's that's rough. That's what. But you know what? As long as you're alive tomorrow morning, we're good. Same time, I can feel how devastating it was for him, and when we look at different types of traumas at different types of people, especially as leaders, we need to understand that just because we wouldn't feel that way in that situation doesn't mean that it's not a genuine feeling for that person. Because I have been told by a sergeant first class that my problem didn't matter because he had gone through something like it and he turned out okay. That's why, that's why I think your, your article is so important. You know, this this there's not too many things or too many articles that we published where people are are so uh, where where the author is so uh, forward and talking about this this kind of subject. You know, suicide and 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 that kind of thing. It's it's uh it's one of the things we 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 talked about with. We have a, a new podcast going out that's called Sergeant's Time Podcast, where we talk to uh, Sergeant Major of the Army, Twelfth Sergeant Major of the Army, uh, uh, SMA Tilly, and he one of the things that that's that's foremost in his mind is 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 dealing with suicide and and dealing with uh and and <clears throat> with the same kind of problem that what what the things that you were thinking he's thinking so there's other people out there th- who are big wigs although he's retired uh who he's still influential but he's doing things he's trying to do things to change uh to ch- to change the outlook to change the the outcomes 
to do something about it, which is what I think is uh, your article is so is so impactful because you are trying to do something in a way that I think is going to reach people. And even if it reaches just one individual, one leader who says, well, you know, instead of downplaying the fact that, you know, this guy is telling me that you know, that he's having problems because of something that I had problems with too. And, you know, I, I did it. Maybe that might be your article might be that little switch that says, you know what, let me listen to this cat. Let me, let me, let me see, let me be that trauma informed leader that you're talking about. Sorry, so be and and right, and you know that's yeah, that's kind of where it comes into um, when I say you know trauma informed leaders. You know, your subordinates want five things: they want to be heard, protected, prepared, supported, and cared for. If we as leaders can do that, we're going to bolster the lethality of our force because um, I'm in an armored division, right, and if I take, if you, if, if a tank, if a tank crew member commits suicide and they're close with the rest of their crew, that entire tank is now down because of what's happening to them emotionally afterwards. And if that tank's down, that platoon is down. If that platoon is down, that troop is down. If that troop is down, that battalion is down. If that battalion is down, that brigade is down. If that brigade is down, well, now we have a problem. So it's a dominance effect. Right. And um, you you know how for the past forever, everybody's been saying, you know, 22 a day, kill themselves and this or that, right? The number is closer to 40. They did a brand new study. um, And the number of uh, suicides in the military community, active duty and veteran combined per day is about 40. And if we do the math on that, that's 40 a day. So that's about a platoon a day that we're losing. If we went to war tomorrow and we were losing that many people per day in combat, somebody would have to answer the question of how and why. So if we can, if we can really dig in and we can equip our leaders to prevent something that is a hundred percent, a hundred percent preventable, we're going to be a very lethal force. You know, when I was reading your article, I was, I was, I was taking a look at this problem, and I stepped back a little bit, and then I realized, you know, uh, you know, it's just like what what a lot of people realize is this is going to take an entire different approach from from the top down, from you know, from different levels, different organizations. It, it, it's going to require a big task force to to really get after this problem. But what I really took away from your article is that that you're kind of giving some insights to to that soldier, that tactical level soldier, that tactical level leader on things that they can do. And so maybe maybe let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about things that a, a sergeant, a team leader, a squad leader, um, and, and you mentioned a platoon sergeant that, that kind of brush you off a little bit. If we had changes at those levels, uh, how how big of an impact we can make? I, I think we can make a huge impact, uh, but maybe let's talk a little bit about that, Chago. Yeah, you know what? Actually, that brings up a good point because we're having a conversation. I don't think we need to we need to go back and forth. Everybody has to take a turn. I think you know, here's one of the things when, that came up when 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 Sarnikita and I were talking about this. 
before you we, we talk about these these articles before we actually talk about the articles with the author just because we want to we kind of want to kind of explore some things or whatever but um, I want to uh, illustrate there was there was a there was a, a situation where right after I retired from the Marines I I, I was going to college I, I met this kid this this young uh, this young man who was uh, who had been a Marine he approached me we were in a place I don't know I was wearing some Marine swag and he approached me and we ended up chatting. Well, it turns out that he was he was kicked out of the Marine Corps. He was uh, he was dishonorable dis- dishonorably discharged. There had been uh, he there had been some some issues with uh, with with the, his behavior and uh, his lack of in- impulse control. His um, you know the the fact that that you know certain things ha- things happened. Thing is, it all happened after a deployment to Iraq. While he was deployed. His vehicle was was in an IED blast, and he was a, he was a machine gunner, and he got he got uh, he he got thrown off the vehicle. Uh, I think some of the people in the in the vehicle died, uh, but he he landed on his on his head. He, he suffered some 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 trauma, uh, um, physical trauma to his head. So uh, the, which which leads, I mean, that's one of the things we've we've had articles about uh, traumatic brain injury. So I, I, that's what he suffered. I think he was never diagnosed. None of his NCOs or none of his, his his the people who that he worked with ever helped him, or maybe they did. I don't know. The thing is that he ended up being a, becoming a problem child, and then eventually got kicked out of the Marine Corps on a on a uh, dishonorable discharge. And you know my my ultimate uh, assessment, I guess you could say, of of what happened to this guy was that. <clears throat> He, there was a leadership problem. You know, what happened to the, the – I mean, he was one person before the, the IED blast, and then he was a different person after the IED blast. There was there was a, a change between who he was and who he became after that event. And where are the – where were the NCOs, where are the, so the, the Marines in this case, who who knew him, who who could see that, okay, this isn't the same guy. There's something going on here. We need to figure out – and send them to somebody. He never went to a doctor. He was never assessed with a, an actual uh, uh, traumatic inju- brain injury. He had no services through the VA. He had no. He was he was on a dishonorable discharge. They, they, the Marine Corps took him and 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 discarded this this young guy, and he's out in the streets and he was got into trouble with the police. But so many things could have gone differently for this guy if if he if somebody had taken the time to. To be the leader, or to, if somebody had been the leader that they should be, you know. Yeah, and I feel comfortable saying this because I've said this publicly in front of a brigade commander. Um, from my foxhole as an NCO, um, it's we don't feel it, when it comes to this entire situation, the behavioral health system, the care, anything like that. It's not that people feel it's ineffective. It's that people feel abandoned by it. Because with this Marine, it, where, where, where is the leadership? Well, leadership was probably being hammered by other things. Uh, the leadership probably had to care about, hey, our vehicles in working order. We're going to the field soon. Or it's like, it's everything else taken care of. And the thing we as leaders need to realize is our number one pacing item is our soldiers. 
I don't care if my Humvee can start or not, because if my soldier can't even drive the Humvee, it's ineffective. I don't care if the weapon system works, because if the person who has to operate it is ineffective, it's ineffective anyway. In the situation of the Marine, what what could they what could they have done? They could have done better. That was my. There point. could have been that one. There, there could have been one lance corporal, one corporal, one sergeant who. Hey, here, let's talk. Because if we're dealing with something like a TBI, that changes the game completely. Because the brain is a it's a super highway of connections. And when the brain is injured, it can't repair itself. So things like emotional dysregulation start to come into play. The ability to process emotion healthy, in a healthy manner comes into play. And then when you add things like PTSD or complex PTSD, uh, major depressive disorder, anxiety, when you start adding all of that, the brain's not going to process it properly. And it's going to spiral. It's not going to know what to do because you could break your arm right now, but the brain's going to tell your body exactly what to do to fix it. But once you injure your brain, the brain can't tell itself how to fix itself, if that makes sense. And in this situation with this young Marine, what could have been done better? Somebody could have asked him how he was doing. Somebody could have talked with him about what was going on because, you know, I I know Sergeant Major Grinson really pushed going to behavioral health. I know a lot of the Sergeant Major of the Army have. A lot of senior leaders like to say, hey, go to behavioral health. Go talk to somebody. Reach out. Get help. But at the same time, it will still affect your career. I think I I had to go get it. I'll be open here. You know, this is what this is about. People need to know. I had to go get a psychological evaluation for my security clearance because I've been to behavioral health. You know, it does affect you. And people are still afraid to know because of that. And it leads to things like a spiral, like that young Marine had, it will lead to alcoholism. So people are now having to go to Sudsy, which will then pay on their clearance. They can get kicked out for it. It will lead to relationship issues at home. All because of how we view it. And we still view it as something bad. We still view going to behavior health as bad. We still view reaching out for help as bad. Because the most common diagnosis is an adjustment disorder. And you can be chaptered for an adjustment disorder diagnosis. Your commander at any given time, oh, you have an adjustment disorder, they can chapter you. The systemic problem, pretty much, would you say? You know, it's something that has to be um, addressed. And I think that's what that's why the, your article is so important, because we, we do have a big audience. And I think people need to be aware that 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 they, you know, they, these people are the people who come who come looking for help, who do go to behavioral health, who do need help. Uh, they they shouldn't be pariahs afterwards. They shouldn't be abandoned or 
or chapter, like you said. Or they, I mean, it's it's like it's just somebody needing help, and afterwards, you know, they they, they, they if there's negative consequences, then there there goes that dominoes effect again. Especially when you're in a position of leadership, because you still need to project that you know you're in control, you're everything's fine, like you're ten feet tall and bulletproof. Until the one day where you're no longer 10 feet tall and bulletproof and it boils over. And that's what we're seeing. And people are strong for so long that the second they become weak, it is, well, I don't want to say become weak, but the second that they're vulnerable or the second that they're open about it, it it's crippling for them. You know, I'm looking at the, uh, how do I apply this? This, you know, my, my goal is that if, if NCOs can have this conversation, they listen to the podcast. They can have the similar conversations with their formations that this is where that those solutions come from. This is where the change happens. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, man, what would, what, it, it would really help out if if leaders just change their attitude about this thing, right? Um, so I'm hearing a leader can change their attitude uh, uh, in their approach. I really like your example of, you know, it doesn't matter if all my equipment's working or if I get it up to, you know, to standard if I don't have that soldier there to, to do that, to, to, to man that equipment. So I really like that example. And I think it just takes somebody realizing that, yeah, I have to, this part of my completing my mission is taking care of this soldier. Right. And I, once the, the, the most important thing to understand about it is it needs to be genuine because I can go on Instagram and see all these pages from senior leaders about take care of your soldiers or, you know, only like you can't control what happens around you, but you can control how you respond. Anytime I hear that, I, I just tune them out immediately because yeah, to an extent you, you can control how you respond, but biologically and physically you can't. It's all, it's all a response through your endocrine system. But it needs to be genuine. And if leaders really want there to be change, it's great to talk about it. But you need to be about it. And it's and I, my point is that it's not it's not going to be something that happens overnight. Like you can't just turn it on, right? Like it, it's something that you build on every day. And that's that's part of why I have the suggestion of we need to start teaching this immediately. It needs to it needs to be taught that the basic training and AIT level. It needs to be taught at DLC, ALC, SLC. It needs to be taught at Bullets for the officers because if you're a junior soldier and you got that second or first lieutenant or even captain that you work under, there might only be a five to six year age difference, but that soldier looks up to you. Um, and it's the same with being an NCO. When everything starts going south, everybody looks at the sergeant. What do we do? It's um, there's that one scene in uh, We Were Soldiers where they pursue the North Vietnamese guy into the tree line, and they pretty much get ambushed, right? And everybody, it, it's just like going down the ranks of let's get out of here, you know, and, you know. Every, officers are getting shot, the senior NCOs are getting shot, and then eventually Sergeant Savage is 
that he yells, everybody stay down. When things go south, people look at the sergeants. They don't, they don't look at anybody else. And if they believe fully that we will take care of them and that they are okay, that's how we're successful. And like I said in the article, the second you put chevrons on your chest, you are now responsible for America's most precious resource, our sons and daughters. Before you take action or do anything, understand that it is affecting somebody's child. And ask yourself if what you are about to do and ask of them is proper. Because, believe it or not, that's somebody's kid. Somebody cares about that soldier. Sergeant Nikita has, uh, was telling me a story of, uh, of, of an example of the kind of leader that I think uh, is the kind of leader that you're, that you're talking about. You know, the, the, uh, you were telling me about that first. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Can you, tell, that, you tell us about that story? So, yeah. So I was an instructor at uh, Fort Meade, Maryland, and we had, um, we had a soldier that uh, had ideations and, and was going through a tough time. Um, and, I, and what I, what really stands out to me about this situation is that, uh, my first sergeant, I had never seen somebody devote so much um, time and effort to ensuring that a soldier was okay, not only just okay, but they had an outlet, they had somebody to go and talk to. Um, my first sergeant, um, you know, this is this is a big, you know, you're a student at a schoolhouse at uh, ALC, and then you're the first sergeant, the commandant, you know, the NCOA commandant at that location. Um, she, every day, she talked to him. They would spend an hour probably before class talking about just random stuff, food, you know, TV shows, something. But as that so what I realized was as that soldier was going through whatever problem, because I really didn't really know what was going on, but um, whatever it was going through his mind, that conversation really helped him. Um, and for an hour a day, and even during lunch or, or you know, um, or after class, if he needed to go and talk to somebody, he felt comfortable with that first sergeant. And the amount of the time that that my first sergeant devoted to to talk to this soldier, I was ex- extremely impressed. And uh, and I think that's what we need. We need people to be able to take time out of their day and out of out of their themselves and to kind of devote it to to their soldiers, because it really has an impact. I you know, who knows, right? Who knows what could have happened. But I, but I, I know it was impactful. Here's the, here's a weird thing about that too, because, um, I'm in, I'm involved with the uh, jujitsu club here at Fort Bliss, and the coach, um, is probably gonna hate. That I'm saying it's like he he helped me compile my thoughts with this article. Um, if he listens to this, he knows exactly who he is, and uh, he's a retired NCO. He coaches jujitsu at Fort Bliss. He helped run the combatants tournament. He will always answer the phone. He will always give advice, even though he knows like half the time I don't listen to it. Um, he's always there. And people need to, like, to me, 
there are people I just want to say, hey, you need to understand that 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 man is the picture of an NCO. He's retired. He has no obligation to the Army or anybody. But he still cares for soldiers. He can tell by the look on my face how I'm feeling. If I'm having a bad time, I can call him and talk to him about it. And back to your point, that's what I, that's an NCO to me. And that's what I'm trying to get across to people where, if you're a leader, what, what, once, once you become a leader, you, you give up, you pretty much give up your right to, um, be selfish. You can't be selfish anymore. You have to care for people. And that's what he does. And he's not even in the army anymore. And that speaks volumes about his character. I think every NCO should be quick to open their eyes and ears when he talks and understand that you can still care for yourself, but you can also care for other people. Well, here, here's what I, what I was going to uh, add to that, or or, or maybe just kind of uh, feed off of that is that you you can you can you can look you can walk a horse to water, you can't make them drink. You know, there's going to be NCOs who are going to be who they are, and but the importance of this conversation, conversations like it, and articles like yours, is that even if you're if it reaches one individual who's able to kind of self-realize and, 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 and look at themselves and, and realize that, hey, look, I can, do, I can do better. I can be a better leader. I can, I can listen. I can be authentic because I think that's what everything that, you're, that we're talking about here is if you're authentic, if, you're, if, if you actually not just give lip service but you actually care, you authentically, you are, you, you, you're, you're that person who actually doesn't just kind of say all, just like you said about those people who who uh, who, who uh, send out a tweet or a, 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 an Instagram message or whatever it is that be they be about it. Yeah, but, but they actually feel it. They're not they're not out there for the glory. They're not out there to to make themselves look good. They're out there because they're doing the things that need to be done because there's they need to be done. Uh, because it's part of taking care of soldiers. It's part of being a good leader. It's part of, of, of not just uh, uh, going through the motions of being a leader, but actually being a leader. And I think uh, again, that's what, that's what this is. Uh, that's why this article that you wrote is so important, and why our talk, this yeah, is, is so important. That's why I believe in here. Um, you know, for the longest time, I held a large degree of anger and malice toward the system, as it were. But then once I started to get involved with the Behavioral Health Working Group, I started to see the work that was going on. There are people who genuinely care. There are people who sleep over these things at night. And if we can, if our efforts save one life, it's worth it. And that, that was kind of the, moment I realized I I have to do something. You know, nobody's coming, expect a self rescue kind of deal. And the whole concept of this article came out of why aren't we doing this? Like why aren't we why don't we have a better system in place? What what what's the problem? And 
if it's the system, okay, cool. We're the belly of the beast. It's great. But as NCOs and as leaders, we can be that front line change. We can be effective boots on ground in that moment. And we can protect our soldiers. We can advocate for them. We can get them the help they need to get to a better place. Because, you know, candidly, if you, like, almost three years ago when I was at Fort Sill, oh yeah, I was going through it. And it got to the point where I had no idea what to do. And I have no shame in saying this. I, I, I texted my mom. I was like, mom, this is bad. I don't know what to do. Please help. And he contacted the right people because of her position in the government. And next thing you know, I'm having a conversation with Sergeant Major Nick Murdy about what's going on. Like that's what it took for me to get help was I had to reach out to a family member who used their position to get the right people to say, Hey, are you okay? And the fact that I had to do that, it tells me that at some point in time, there might be a student folder who doesn't have these resources, doesn't have the no, the no to on how to get help. So we as MCOs need to be there to get them that help and to be that person. And if at times it's just having a conversation with them and just sitting with them and being present, that's what we have to do. If it's, hey, I need to go to behavior health or I need to talk to somebody, then it's our job to make sure that happen. Because I've, I've worn my dress uniform to more funerals than I have to any formal events. And we need to be better. You know, you're talking about there's that's the other side of the coin that we're that we we've kind of touched on it, and you know, you being so candid about some your your experiences and your your things that you've gone through, I think it, it speaks uh, volumes. But that's the other side of the coin that we're we're ta- we, like myself. I've been talking about the the leadership aspect, but there's also the people who are who are suffering who need to you you. I think uh, it speaks volumes about the fact that you actually reached out for help. There are many people who don't. And maybe this is the impetus. Maybe this article and this conversation might be the impetus for maybe that one individual. Even if it just reaches one and we never hear about it, but it happens, I think that would be amazing. Uh, the thing is that, you know, how else, you know, that's the other side of the coin that I was talking about is that we're talking about leadership, but also, you know, there's those who need help. Uh, too many times uh, there's, 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 I've known people who are uh, Marines from my, my, you know, experiences who just uh, kind of blew things off? Mental health, you know. Speak. We used to have a psychiatrist who would come around while I was deployed to Iraq. After uh, we were in combat operations in the city of Najaf, in the in the in the um, uh, cemetery out there, uh, and and things were happening, and you know we were in combat, and things were going on, and there'd be after after a specific battle or a few days out in the field, come back, and there'd be a. a a shrink, a Navy shrink walking around. Hey, man, you all right? Need to talk? Hey, you okay? So we kind of laughed it off and just kind of blew them off. Uh, but I, in my head, I probably, you know, 
thinking back on those days, I, I, I probably, sh- I, I should have talked to him, but there was a certain level of uh, shame in admitting to yourself that, that you needed that kind of help. And I think that it's important that we talk about that, that there is no shame in looking for help. There is no shame in needing help and asking for it. Uh, because if you, if, 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 you know, that, that doesn't make you any less of a, of a soldier, any less of a man or a woman or anything like that. It just means you need help and that you need, uh, that, that you need to have the, the, I guess, the courage to go for it. Um, shame and guilt are pretty heavy emotions and you're right. A lot of people feel a degree of shame or degree of guilt, especially in the combat arms community, asking for help. And that's why, um, in, in the article, I suggest having a position that's dedicated to a subject matter expert in all things behavioral health. And that's also why I suggest we need more doctors in the behavioral health community. And the reason being is because it puts that person with that formation. They have the same experiences and they're with the soldiers on a daily basis. And um, one good thing that uh, the First Armored Division is doing right now is we're standing up a program called the Ironclad Expert. And we are going to be putting senior NCOs at the brigade and battalion level, uh, much like a SARC, but it's going to be for behavior health. It's going, they're going to know all the resources, the proper modality of care for certain issues, and they're going to be able to be the advocate for the soldier. So the soldier isn't going to be alone going through um, their issues or their crisis, as it were. And it's going to help. It's it's going to help show that there's no shame, there's no guilt. You can ask for help, and no matter what happens, we're going to be with you through it. Because I also think that is part of the problem where there is shame and guilt present, but there's also a fear of abandonment and ostracism, especially in the combat arms community, because the first thing that happens when you get a behavior health profile is you can't carry a weapon. And if you're combat arms and you can't carry a weapon, you don't only feel shame and guilt for asking for help, but you also now feel useless to your society, to your culture, because you can't operate in the most simplest function of your job. And then I don't even want to know what people think when that happens to them because quite frankly, it's scary for me to think about that because you don't have control of the situation and most of all, you can't protect the people around you. And there must be an absolute feeling of I couldn't even begin to try to figure out what that emotion is for people because if you can't protect your team as a combat arms guy, it must be devastating. And so if we can implement trusted NCOs who are well-trained, 
who are passionate about the subject to be there with those soldiers and walk with them through their own personal health, you know, maybe we can ease that game and guilt. Maybe we can make it, we can remove, we can remove the labeling of, oh, they're going to behavior health. There's something wrong with them. Like, no, they're going to behavior health because there's something right with them. And they are asking for help, which is the most normal thing you can ever do. Because in a combat zone, you know, if you're rolling down the street and get hit with an IED, you're going to ask for help. You're going to say, hey, come help me. I'm hit. So why don't we do that in garrison when we have emotional and, you know, mental things going on? How's that different? It's it's just an unseen wound. You're asking for help with a wound. It's no different than combat. It's the most normal thing to do to ask for help. In this podcast, we talked about leaders uh, being trauma-informed leaders or becoming trauma-informed leaders. And then more than talking about it, being being about it. And so I want to ask, I'll, I'll start with you, Chago. Um, what is something a, a, a tactical level leader, a sergeant, what is something that they can do to be more about it, about being more of, of a trauma-informed leader? Well, for one thing, I think reading this article. <laughs> but, but I think that it... Uh, I, I I talked about it before. I think being being um, what was the word that I, the buzzword that I used? Being uh, genuine, being uh, uh, honest with yourself, and and and, uh, and and actually caring for your soldiers, not just prov- not just giving lip service. That's what I would say. You know, you you have to really care. If you the, people can see past you know any fake front that you put up, you know. So you have to be genuine. You have to be true and honest and, and uh, truly care. And that's not something I think that that, necess- that you can necessarily turn on and off. You either are or aren't. But if you get to learn your so- – uh, not learn, but get to know your soldiers, not just kind of work with them and then afterwards, whatever, but actually get to know them, learn about their lives, learn about what makes them tick, uh, That I think that – comes naturally and and you become that honest and truthful leader that really truly cares for them because you know them and they're a part of you. So I think that that's, that's where that, that's where I would take that. Sorry, so we all same question to you. You know, I think that was a great answer. And the only thing I would really say other than that is, um, we also need to not judge our soldiers. We need to understand that they have feelings too. And just because they feel a certain way or they're acting a certain way, we, we can't judge that. We can't say, hey, that's, that's stupid or, you know, that's not a valid reason because we don't know we will never know how they truly feel and why they feel that way about things. And if, if by not judging them, that creates a space where they can be open and honest with us about what they're going through, 
that's enough to provide leaders with the ability to help. Because if they are not honest and open with us, we can't be effective in helping them. They need to feel like they can be open and honest and not judge. Because the second we judge them, that's the second we lose them. What about you, Sarnikite? Oh, I think you guys covered uh, the majority of the stuff. I'm taking notes, by the way. I, you know, this is an interesting topic for me, but it's just uh, I always like to think of it like what what are some key takeaways for me? And uh, the things that I wrote down were, um, you know, we've got to realize that trauma is different for everybody. It, it, it's going to affect everybody differently. So changing my attitude about trauma, um, realizing that I, I can take action immediately and that action can be just being there for somebody, be, being available for somebody to talk to. Um, you mentioned something that's key to all this. It's get to know your, your soldiers. But I, I wrote down, get to know your teammates. This, this is just, a, it's not a down approach, but it's also an up approach, getting to know your supervisors, that's getting a good to point. know. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was be an example. And then this is another thing. I had another first sergeant um, who, who was open about seeking help. And I found that so impactful for me too. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I, I started going. Um, I, I actually went to, uh, you know, just to kind of uh, seek some 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 help, you know, and some guidance and some uh, advice from behavioral health. Um, but it was because I had a leader that walked the walk and, and said, "Hey, I'm going to this seeking for help, um, and it's okay if if you do that too." So being an example for others to follow is, isn't the other thing that I wrote down. I think that's, uh, it's important that, cause you, you mentioned that too, uh, Sergeant, that, that, uh, you, you went, that you sought help and that you went and, and you asked for help. And I think, um, uh, it's important that we, Sergeant Akita just admitted too, that, that he's, you know, uh, asked for help. And I, I'll, I'll say the same thing too. I, I, I suffered from PTSD and I went to see, uh, you know, several people with the VA, uh, I was diagnosed with PTSD, actually diagnosed with it. Uh, I, for the for so many years, I didn't, my, my wife would tell me, hey, you need to go talk to somebody. You you, you have issues. Uh, and I would just like, eh, nah, I'm fine. You know, but it, it they, they pile up. And then things, there's that domino effect that affects other aspects of your life. And when I finally listened, and it, it, I, I'm ashamed to say that I didn't listen to my wife. I listened to to another Marine who told me, dude, you got problems. <laughs> uh, you need to go talk to somebody. And so, well, I'm talking to you, man. And, and then that became the conversation that 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 was that transition to me actually looking and, and seeking help and, and, and seeing, uh, being involved with different uh, behavioral health people and, and Having conversations with uh, with groups of, of veterans who went through the similar situations that I did, and so I think it's important that we admit to ourselves that if we have a problem, if there is something, then we do need help. I think that's the first step: is that you have to be able to to say to admit it to yourself and not be ashamed by it, not be not feel that that there's something wrong with you or that you're weak or anything like that. I think we all need to to or just dismiss it as as if it's nothing. You know, we we listen. We have to listen to ourselves and. And from what I just said too, you have to listen to your loved ones. They they know when there's something going on with you. They they can see something that and you, so you have, you should pay attention to not just your internal voices, but also to the the people who love you because they uh, they have insight that uh, you may not have on yourself. So I think uh, again, it's important that you know those of you out there who are listening that you uh, you kind of listen. Uh, 
you know, don't, you know, put aside any sort of shame or any sort of anything like that. And, 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 and don't be afraid to, to look for help or to ask for help if you need it. Right. And, you know, the same sentiment, like for anybody listening, it's, there's, believe it or not, there's a group of people in the army who really care. And it's not a burden to try to seek help with us. We will, any, any moment, any hour of the day, if you reach out, somebody will respond. And it's okay. It's okay to get help. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for so much for being so honest and so straightforward with with uh, so open with all your all your uh, uh, your experiences. Thank you again. Uh, it was an amazing talk. Probably one of the best ones, best conversations we've had in a long time. Oh well, we did just talk to Sergeant Major Army uh, Dan Daly uh, a few like a month ago, so that was pretty cool. Uh, but this is a, a a pretty solid second, or might even be tied for first, because this was a pretty amazing conversation. And we thank you for for joining us, and thank you to our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the NCO Journal podcast. Mm-hmm.